glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right. Uh, I'm going to do my best to be obedient to what the pastors asked and try to stay on my time limit. But I have a lot to say, so I'm going to try to get to it very quickly. Um, I was telling your pastor, I've preached a lot of meetings and conferences, mission conferences, where they actually call it a mission revival. And really that's what it is. It's reviving in us what we're, our duty, what we're supposed to be doing uh, for missions uh, for the Lord. And uh, so uh, the Lord has just laid on my heart. I've been preaching through a series of things and and the Lord has just kind of combined it with some other things. And I want to uh, try to preach this week on strengthening uh, the church and strengthening the things that are already here, uh, that we already have here, uh, that just needs to be strengthened. Not that this is not a strong church, but in every church there's areas in our lives that need to be strengthened. The pastor needs to be strengthened. The, the church members need to be strengthened. The ministries need to be strengthened. And so uh, as we look at that this week, I pray that uh, we would not try to look at anyone else but just ourselves and see where we fit there and, and what it is that we need to do uh, to strengthen our missions as far as the missions of Bonners Ferry Baptist Church. And... Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to preach one message all week and preach each point uh, each night. Uh, I, I was thinking back there when I first when I was a young preacher boy, I'd study for six hours and preach five minutes and cry half of that. And now I can study for five minutes and preach two hours. And uh, it's, it's different, amen? And so you, uh, you try to get it all in there that you can. So we got a lot to say. I just want... Uh, to uh, help you tonight. That's my only desire. And I've prayed that ever since Brother Neil asked me to come. I've been praying that we can be a help to you. Turn your Bibles, if you would, tonight. We're going to be several places, but tonight turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then if you want to, you can uh, stick a finger there and go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we will be a lot in 1 Peter chapter 1 tonight, but We'll start first in First Timothy chapter three. All right, if you're there, say Amen. First Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen. Bible says, "These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God." See, this is not our church. It's His church. The church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here again tonight. We thank you for the great music we've heard and the and the uh, the pre- presentation from Brother Paulman. 
We pray for Brother Turk as he preaches after me. We pray that you would help us uh, to be strengthened by this church and this church be strengthened by the Word of God. We pray that you would help us tonight, uh, gather us around the Word and put it in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, the church at Ephesians was told to strengthen the things that remain. And so we, we need to realize that, first of all, who we are. We are uh, the church of the living God. This is His, this is his uh, uh, church. It belongs to Him. Uh, we are getting to be in the ministry. Uh, Paul said, I thank God that He put me into the ministry. I'm glad I'm in the ministry and God is allowing us to do that and this church is there. But then the Bible says we are the pillar and ground of the truth. And what a what a pillar does, which I know you know this is this is elementary, but a, a pillar connects things below to things above, and that is our job is to connect things that are not they're not there, they're not connected to above, and so we're our ministry is people. We are connecting them with Jesus Christ, and so that's our job. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. We have the truth. The, Everybody else don't have the truth, but we have it. And so we need to get that truth out to them. Um, you know, I like David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God? Isn't it wonderful to have a, a, a great church to go to and uh, to minister out of? And so we have that here. You have that here in Bonners Ferry. We have that in Payette. And the Bible says very plainly, not forsaking to assemble ourselves together, as a matter of some is, and uh, uh, but uh, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming, and as we see Jesus coming, we need to gather more, and we need to gather when it's time together to get that uh, that charge to go out and do what we're supposed to do. So I want to look tonight at at the church and and helping the church tonight for just a few minutes. I'm going to try to be on time. Uh, as much as possible, and uh, and so we we want we know that the founding of the church is Christ Jesus. He is uh, it is His church. Uh, it doesn't belong to us. Um, the the foundation is sure. There's the, there's never been one crack in the foundation. Uh, we have that truth. Uh, it's fortified. The Bible says even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Uh, what a wonderful church we have. It's a it's formation. God called a man. Uh, um, and then confirms his message, and he preaches that message. The membership collects under that message. And listen, we're Bible people. We're people of the Bible. We we can say we're not of this group, we're not of that group, but we are Bible people. We believe this Bible. And so we ought to want to gather around the Bible to to hear the Bible preached and taught. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so we're, that's, we are. And then God saves people and stabilizes people and, and gets them discipled and gets them in the church and they become a part of this organization, not organization, but org- organism that begins to produce other people. And so that's how it works. And you know all that. And, and the function that we have is an upward function. We look to God for our help. We know that's where our power comes from, is upward. And then it's an outward function as we reach others uh, to bring them in. And then it's always an inward function that God is doing something not only in those that we're reaching, but in us. A constant work inside of us. And I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, God has doing, been doing a, a work in me. 
uh, through the Word of God, through studying and preaching the Word of God, He's been doing a work in me. And so I'm glad for that. So we're going to look at uh, four things uh, this week um, about the church, the pillar and ground of the truth that we need. And every church needs this. Our church needs this. Your church needs this. And the first thing we want to look at is to get a fresh glimpse of the Savior. Get a fresh glimpse of the Savior. Uh, Christ wants us to see Him. When he, when Christ came into that uh, upper room after He resurrected, He showed Himself to them. He showed them the, the scars, the marks. And He showed Himself and gave them a different perspective. They were scared that the soldiers were going to bust in and arrest them and crucify them. But all of a sudden, all they could see was Jesus. Amen. And the job will get done if we focus on him and our relationship with him uh so so we need to get a fresh glimpse of him this week and go back to calvary and see what god has done for us and realize that there was a great price that was paid for us and that price was also paid for others if a man goes to, a man woman child goes to hell they go with their sins paid for christ paid for those sins and so we need to go back to Calvary. We need to we need to realize that the the gospel is good news. He he died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He put his blood on the mercy seat for us. And then he chose to send the Holy Spirit after us. Uh, and I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow night. But I had people that put their footprints in my yard. I had people that came on my job site. A long-haired hippie playing in a rock band. I, I was a terrible person. And they came weeping to my job site telling me that I was going to go to hell if I didn't get saved. Jesus loved me and He wanted to save me. And and I got saved because somebody cared about me and took me to Calvary. Amen? And so we need to, we need to do that. But what I want to look at tonight and just be more focused tonight on is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, your pastor and I was talking today about how that we're probably living more in these general epistles now in the day that we live in, and there's probably more help for us here than we realize. And uh, Brother Caleb, I didn't realize until I started to study 1 Peter how how much, listen, this 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 little book here is dripping with doctrine. Just the first chapter. I've not made it past the first chapter. I'm preaching a whole message each verse. And it's just dripping with, with, with doctrine and relevant to what we're living in today. And so I want to start. I'm going to put in about verse 13 and look down through 16. Um, and I want to talk about being fruitful in the Lord. Uh, and he, listen. Christ said in John 15, He's the vine, and we're the branches. And I ask this question everywhere I go, and it's kind of a little bit confusing, and I've asked this several places. I may have asked it here last time. But how many of you ever eaten grapes off the vine? You haven't. You've eaten grapes off the branches. See, the branches produce the fruit. That's us. Amen? He's the vine, and we are in the vine. Okay? And so it's important that we look at that relationship tonight. So that's where we're going to start. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace 
that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now when we look down through this, chapter 1, I'm just going to be real brief here because I, I want to get to the meat of it. Uh, we find out the penman is Peter. Peter, the old fisherman, the old roughneck fisherman. I, I, I liken him to an old hillbilly like me. He, he knew the ways of the world and God saved him and changed him. And listen, uh, Peter calls himself in chapter, in, uh, second Peter calls himself the servant. Uh, but he was the apostle of Jesus Christ. His name is written in the foundation of the New Jerusalem. You're talking about, wow, this old fisherman got his name put. You know what? My name's not there, but it's in the Lamb's Book of Life. God used this great man to write these truths to us. Then the people that it was written to, the Bible says strangers uh, scattered uh, throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and uh, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, this wasn't Jerusalem. This wasn't their land. This was Turkey, what we call Turkey now. This was Asia Minor. They were scattered abroad. These were saved Jewish people, and they were scattered abroad. Now, chapter 2 tells us, and and uh, chapter 2 tells us that it was also written to us. It's a general epistle. But it was, there's a Jewish flavor to this book. Why? Peter was the apostle to the Jewish people. And so he writes with that flavor, and it's just beautiful to see how he does that. But that's the people that are scattered abroad. Listen, we're, we're not home yet. Amen. We're just walking through. Uh, we, our home is above, and he talks about that. But uh, this is who it was written to. It was written to you. And then it, he talks about, in, in verse number 2, he talks about a positional truth. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God and the, uh, God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He's talking about our positional sanctification here. How that we're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not by works, not by doing anything, not by the Old Testament economy, but by what Christ done one time for all. He is the Lamb of God. Then he talks about the place of our inheritance that uh, comes through being saved by grace in verses 3 through 5. He, uh, he talks about that inheritance that fadeth not away. Listen, heaven is going to be no sweeter uh, to anyone else. Uh, if you go before me, it's not gonna, you're not going to uh, diminish heaven by being there longer than me. Uh, it's, it's my inheritance. I have that as a promise of God. And uh, and I would love to talk uh, uh, about the the adoption and things that there we've got coming to us, but it but uh, that's there. Then we see the price uh, that we will pay, and, and this is a serious uh, uh, section here in verses six through nine, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perished, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and to honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, 
whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, uh, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. He starts out by saying rejoice. We have something to rejoice about. I believe in being a Bible people. I think we ought to be a Bible people. But I think we ought to have a joy deep down in our heart that we've been born again. And that joy ought to be coming out in our lives. Then he talks about the trial of our faith. These people, this was written the best I can figure between AD 62 and 63. You know what happened in AD 64? Nero dropped the hammer. And these people suffered. Many of them died who he was writing. He died. Peter died in that persecution. And he's telling them, have hope. Rejoice in that hope. Listen, Nero was a cruel man. I mean, hung them up like candles and lit them on fire and put them in the lions, a, a, a coliseum with lions tearing them apart. It was a cruel thing. But he said, you can have hope because you're saved. Amen. You have something this world don't have uh, to lean on. Then, uh, then he goes down into verse number 10 through 12, and I love this part. I spend a lot of time on this. He talks to them about uh, the mountain peaks of, of prophecy, the uh, suffering and the glory uh, of the Lord. And he, and he talks about this, and I'll try to make this as short as I can, but he talks about this. He talks about how the Holy Spirit gave it to the prophets. And it was still a mystery, but they could see the mountain peaks. They, could, they talked about His glory. They talked about His suffering. The problem was they couldn't see let me let me give you this. We have a little place in uh, in Payette. It's called Emmett, Idaho. And in Emmett, Idaho, there's there's this little uh, range that's called Squaw Butte. All right. If you get on the interstate and go to Boise, you can see the Squaw Butte the whole way. It's just off to the left. And brother, it looks like one mountain range, but it's two. It's the West Mountains, and then it's Squaw Butte. And the only way you know what's in between them is if you drive up around it. And once you get in it, you see there's a valley there. These prophets could look and see the the two peaks, but they couldn't see the church age. They They couldn't understand if his suffering and glory was right together or one thing. They didn't understand that it was a mystery. God opened that mystery up to us. And we see the church age and we know that He's coming. And, and, and He shows us that, how that the Holy Spirit gave that to the prophets. The prophets preached that and put it in, in, in the Bible. And then, not only that, but He gave it to the apostles. The mystery was unveiled and now we have that truth. Now we can look back to the prophets and say, hey, that's what it's talking about. And then, the Bible says the angels desire. Can you think, can you imagine what all the angels saw? They saw creation. They, they sang when God, according to, to Job, they sang when He created the world. They, I mean, they were in the creation, but they saw part of it. They saw the birth of Christ. They saw the crucifixion of Christ. They saw the ascension of Christ. 
And they desire to look into those things. You know what? Their minds are on Jesus. We're saved by grace. We're the people of God. And our minds ought to be on Him. Amen? Amen? And so we see that truth in there. And then, and then we see, and, and I'll, I'm rounding up to get to the place I need to be. Uh, we see in verses 13 and 14, we see the promise of fruit in our life as a saved person. And uh, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, uh, and hope to, to, to the end for uh, the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a threefold uh, call to duty there we'll look at. And, uh, and so we'll see that. And then he says, as obedient, uh, children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of this world. I'm going to try to jump down through this as quickly as I can. But that, that call to duty. Every one of us are called to a, to a duty. What is that duty? It's a threefold duty found in verse number 13. He said, number one, gird up the loins of your mind. We know that men in the Old Testament, they still wore robes, but they worked. They had they girded their loins up. They put their robes up in their belt where they could work and move and run and go. And so the Bible says to gird up the loins of our mind. Be ready. Be ready for what comes in this world. Be ready to minister. Be ready to duty at all times. Be ready to go. Be ready to... Listen, we, we probably pass way more people in our life that we've ever talked to. Because we're not ready. We leave our house in the morning, we ought to be ready to talk to someone about Christ. Amen. Divine appointments all through the day. We pump gas across from someone. You know, that someone pumping gas is trapped. They can't go anywhere. Amen. How you doing today? Real easy to do. You say, well, they might not talk to me. Well, they won't if you don't try. If our, if our minds are girded up and we're ready to go, he said, be ready for that. And there's a lot more there, but I'm, I'm just trying to go through it. Um, uh, the Bible talks about the pastor having a ready mind. The church should have a ready mind. Our minds ought to be ready uh, to deal with people with the gospel. And, uh, and then he says this, he said, be sober. Now that's not talking about being an alcoholic. That's talking about being serious and sober, and knowing what you're dealing with. Realizing that people are lost and going to hell. People are not just going to die and go to the grave. They're going to go to hell. And we need to be sober about that fact. We need to understand that we the only hope they have is us. <coughs> it's the theme of Titus chapter 2. The old men, the the young men, the older women, the younger women, the the laborer at his job ought to always be sober and to be ready to deal with the things that we need to deal with because this world depends on it. And then the, then he talks about this. He said there is a a hope that we need to have. That's an that's an ex, an excited expectation for when Jesus comes. He's going to appear one day. And we need to be ready for that appearing. Amen? And we could talk long, long time about that, but we, but we need to be ready for His revelation. Then there, in verse number 14, there's a call to yieldedness. Yieldedness. I, I know we use the word surrender, but I like the word yieldedness. 
Yieldedness means we voluntarily do it. We didn't get caught and drug into it and surrender to it. Amen? If you get pulled over by a police officer and he asks for your license, you surrender it. You don't yield it. Amen? You surrender it. Uh, I like the word yieldedness. He wants us to give ourselves. Amen? Now listen to this. As obedient children. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. As obedient children. That's who we are. That's who we should be, is obedient children. Amen? Now, uh, 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 this is what we were as a lost person. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, And you hath the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the, uh, of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who we were. We're not called that ever after we're saved. We're called obedient children. And that's who we should be. Amen? And were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But listen to this, I love this. The Bible says in, in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We are the children of obedience. Nothing worse than seeing a disobedient child. It sickens me. And I'm not mad at the child, but I could wring the parent's neck. It brings shame. If, If Brother Neil has disobedient children, the church wouldn't like that. He wouldn't like that. Miss Jenny Beth wouldn't like that. There would have to be a constant uh, uh, embarrassment and a shame put on the family. And we as the children of God, when we're disobedient to Him, we're bringing shame on the name of Christ and His church. Amen. And so we need to think about that. That's where we need to be. We are of God. We're not of, dis- uh, of disobedience. We are of obedience. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, it talks about children of Belial, children of disobedience. That's not what we want to be. Amen? Amen? And, and so we're saved, and that's how we distinguish the saved from the unsaved, is whether we're obedient or not. Then the Bible says, not fastening ourselves. Not fastening yourselves. That word fashion, if you look up that word fashion, the Greek word in, in fashion, and I hate to say this in front of a Greek scholar, but... Uh, it's used in the King James Bible also as conform. We should not conform ourselves to the former lusts that we lived in in this world. We don't need, we don't need the world in the church. You don't need the world in your life. I don't need the world in my life. And we don't need to conform ourselves to the world. Everybody's scared about being an old fuddy-duddy and nobody liking you and all that. Listen, I'd rather be in favor with Christ than in favor with the world. 
so he tells us not to conform ourselves. And then the Bible tells us how to do that and be not conformed to this world in Romans chapter 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Word of God. Uh, and then he says, according to the former lust and your ignorance, and we know that that's the life that we lived before we were saved. And let me ask you a question. Why in the world, why in the world would we want to live like we did when we were lost? Why? I, 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 know, I know, and this is going to take a little extra time than I want to, but listen to this. There's a flower that grows in Switzerland. Has anybody ever seen the, the little movie Sound of Music? I'm not a musical person, but there's a song in there called uh, Edelweiss. Y'all, y'all know that little song? There's a flower in Switzerland called an Edelweiss. Edelweiss, I think they say. It's a little white flower. It grows in the high elevations. It grows against the snow and you can't even see it hardly. So it doesn't stand out of its own, doesn't make a show of itself. It's hidden. Amen? It's humble. Stays in the background. And it's pure. People have Edelweiss flowers that they picked 20 years ago and pressed between the pages of a Bible or a book. And it's still just as white as it was when they picked it. It doesn't lose its color. It doesn't fade. Christian ought to be that, just like that. We ought to be consistent because we're His. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm trying to get to where I need to be. Look in verse 15 and 16. There's a call to fruitfulness. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Brother Caleb, there is so much in that verse, those two verses. It takes us back to verses 13 and 14. Wherefore, gird up the the loins of your mind, be sober. And then it takes us to that negative that's in there, not fashioning ourselves, yourselves, according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as like Him who is holy, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's sanctification. That's sanctification positionally and progressive or practically. Right there in that one verse. Be ye holy as he is holy which called you. That's positional. Then he goes on to say, so be holy in all manner of conversation. That's our practical holiness. Okay? So we look at that and we see that there is something that we need to practice. There's something there that's already been put there. We look at holiness as a list of do's and don'ts. He don't drink, so he's holy. He don't Smoke and spit tobacco. He's holy. He don't cuss. He don't do. It. That's not holiness. That's that's part of being sanctified through the Word, as far as doing a waste with some things. But that's not the definition of holiness. 
We look in our Bible, the word holy means sanctified, set apart, pure, consecrated, and we get the word saint from it. Well, that's who we are. That's who we are. How did we get that way? How did we get holy? What is it about us that... What is it about me, aside from who I used to be, that makes me holy? Christ in me. Holiness is a gift. He gave it to us. It's already in there. Okay? So you understand what I'm saying? Positionally, we can never be lost because we're in Christ. Practically, we can live closer to God because of what He's already placed in us. Amen. Amen. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I love this. According as His divine power hath given unto us, listen to this, all things Amen. that pertain unto godliness, life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That's the Word of God, by the way. Great and exceeding precious promises that by these, by the Word of God, by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The Bible says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, uh, of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. That's, Brother Turk, that's already in us. He put it in us. And He activates it through the Word of God. And so, our relationship with Christ <coughs> is what's made us holy. And so we look at that divine nature. <coughs> Excuse me, it's not covid I already had it. The power of God that's in Christ Jesus gives us the aspects of godliness or holiness. Okay? And so, um, let me run through this real quick. According to His divine power hath given unto us all things. All things are already there. We don't have to work on them. They're already there. Amen? We have to receive them and we have to let the Word of God convict us and challenge us to live in that manner. We want to have a revival. Get a hold of that. Paul said that I might know Him. Paul already knew Him in salvation. Paul wanted to know Him in the holiness of God. Now listen, I'm not preaching this this. You know, it's it's all about this mystic. It's not mystic. It's there. It's our relate. Now, I'm I'm gonna cut to the chase. First thing the Bible wants us to know is what that we're saved. Assurance. You if you if you're gonna live a holy life, you got to be sure you're saved. Do you know that with a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt that you've been born again? Did you know the Bible says you can know that. You can be sure of it. And once you're sure of that, then you can move on to doing things for Christ that, that 
that will help you and, and, and the Word of God will open up to you uh, to give you those things, okay? So we, we need to be assured that we're saved. Um, and so God took the initiative to save us. We didn't do it. We weren't looking for Him. He was looking for us. And He saved us. And uh, so the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God did that. No man can come in to me except uh, the Father which hath uh, sent Him draw me. We repented. We came to Him. And then He says the thing that He has done in us for the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He never takes that back. And when we get assured of our salvation, then we can live for Christ and begin to practice uh, that that sanctification and begin to live uh, after the things that God will. You'll never be anything for God unless you want to be something for God. It, it takes work. It takes it takes getting down, reading your Bible, studying your Bible, praying, talking to God. All those things are necessary for that relationship. Now, this is where it's at. It's in a relationship. Let me ask you this. There's some things in the Bible that's called holy. Did you know uh, creation was called holy? What was 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 the holiness of creation, Brother Scott? Was it holy just in the creation? No. If you read chapter two of Genesis, the Bible says he rested on that seventh day and sanctified the whole thing. So in the finished work and the rest of God, it became holy. Israel, the the land that he gave them in Israel, is, is that dirt any holier than the rest of the dirt? You know why it's holy? The relationship that God has with that land and those people. The children of Israel are no holier than anybody else without God. And without Christ, the finished work of Christ Jesus in us, we cannot be holy. And so the holiness comes by the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to ask you something. What kind of relationship is it if you never talk to Him? What kind of relationship is it that if you never let him talk to you? What kind of relationship is it if we're not obedient to the one we say we have a relationship with? That comes down to every aspect of our lives. Has God ever spoken to you about speaking to someone else? Has God ever... Has God ever uh, urged you to give slip somebody a $20 bill or a $100 bill and you did and then you found out later that, hey, let me give you something. I, I'm, my time's up and I'll quit. I worked with a fella that was instrumental in trying to get me saved. Hadn't seen him in 10 years. I was working in Harriman, Tennessee at a tire shop. It was about closing time and this fella walks in the door. It's Christmas time. I was making six bucks an hour. We didn't have enough money to buy Christmas. I was worried sick about what to do. and You know, I know we put a lot of stuff on that. But anyway, this guy walks in. He puts an envelope on the on the desk. He hardly said anything to me. He said, how you doing? I'd like to never found you. So I open it up before he gets to the door, and it's $500. I said, Daryl, you don't have to do that. He turned around and said, don't tell me that. He said, God told me to do it. I haven't seen him since. I don't even know where he lives. I've tried to find him. I can't find him. 
God told him to give me that money. And he was obedient to it. You know how he could do that? He was in a relationship with it. They were talking. (laughs) They were in communion together. That's God's desire is to commune with us. And so the question is tonight, and I'm going to close right there because it's my time. Listen to this. God calls us to be His people. God initiated it. God wants us to be in communication with Him. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to uh, to practice that obedience. He wants us to uh, know who we are. You remember when Christ went and uh, turned back and went back to Jerusalem when He was 12? And they found Him? What did He say? I must be at my... He knew who He was. At 12, He knew who He was. He knew He wasn't Joseph's son. He was God's son. We're we're not the devil's children. We're God's children. And when we realize that, and we get into that relationship as it's supposed to be, God will use us greatly in winning souls in our town, in America, foreign land. There's only one field. It's the world. And we need to be in that field, in that relationship with Christ, or it will not work. And so maybe tonight, maybe you need to come to the altar tonight at the very start of this and say, Lord, I desire that relationship. I, I, have, I have neglected that. I found myself, Brother Caleb, doing that as I studied this. That, that I have neglected things that I needed to, to, to get back in that relationship between me and Christ. That's a greater relationship than me and my wife. In fact, when I'm in that relationship rightly, I'm better to my wife. I'm better to my church. I'm better to my lost friends. Because that relationship is right. I hope this wasn't too scattered. I gave you about 20 pages of stuff real quickly, but I hope that you see that that relationship is the most important thing that we can have right now between us and Christ, especially in this wicked world that we live in. God's got a plan. Let's be in the plan.